dinosaurs. Hey, you like Pez? It looks like that has Heaney from the boundary line. He's an expert at these. Hello and welcome to Behind the Boundary Podcast. I'm your host, Pez, and you are here for the week one finals review show of the AFL season 2020. What a finals series it has been so far, and hopefully it continues in this treacherous time in the world at the moment. I am here to talk about it with Source. Hey, Pez. Uh, yeah, easily one of the best finals over the last uh, t- last 30 or 40 years. It's actually been deemed one of the best finals since the, the modern eight era, if you're looking at just close games. But we do, we have to agree, Pez. Week one of finals was an absolute treat. The combined winning score across all four games was 35 points. The I was first just time working since that the out 1990s. by looking at the thing. I was going to say that. That was <laughs> oh, my next point. Yeah, 35 points across all four games. Um, and it's the first time since 1990 that that's ever ever been the case. Uh, the next closest was 57 points. So absolute amazing, but not just on score alone, the intensity, the hard play, the um, the unpredictability of the games. We had two teams that we thought weren't going to get up and, and they end up get, getting up, Pez. Yeah, and we had uh, upsets galore pretty much because um, Port Adelaide started outsiders. They moved into pretty heavy favourites, but uh, Brisbane, an outsider who won. St Kilda, an outsider who won. And Collingwood, a big outsider who won as well. So a uh, tough round for if you're yeah, in tipping competitions or finals brackets. If you're still alive in the finals bracket, uh, kudos to you. But uh, four tough games. It isn't funny, though. We're talking about upsets. I know in the NRL, every single favourite got up over the weekend. But every single favourite that they had was the higher ranked team. So in our comp, it's actually not that many upsets when you think about it. Port Adelaide are through, finished top. Brisbane are through, finished top. West Coast are out, so that they're they're the upset. St Kilda finished higher than um, St Kilda, so like uh, St Kilda finished higher than um, the doggies. So three out of the higher t- three out of the four higher teams actually got up, but that just shows you how close this was. That <laughs> three three of the other teams came in as the favourites. Yeah, I think uh, the Bulldogs were uh, heavy favourites because of their recent form. But when we get into that game, I might. Talk a little bit about their recent form because I had a bit of a look at it before the game, being nervous as a St Kilda supporter, but uh, I wasn't too worried before the game. I wasn't worried at the start of the fourth, but I was extremely worried at the end of the fourth. (laughs) That last minute when they got that clearance, Pez, were you a little bit nervous then? (laughs) Oh, yeah, nerves nerves started coming through. But uh, you you avoided it in our last show and we didn't speak about the uh, Port Adelaide-Geelong game. Hopefully you've had a couple of uh, nights to get over that and uh, now you've got to prepare for Collingwood coming up this week in a cutthroat semi-final. But we do have to let the fans know our thoughts and what happened in this game. Yeah, most definitely. So you did say I avoided it. It wasn't that I avoided it because I didn't want to talk about it. It's better just to have a, a discussion about it once you know the whole final um, final series and you know exactly where teams are going and who they face. And when you're also able to assess some of the injuries coming out of that. We did say that Port Adelaide finished first and they are through. They beat Geelong 58-42. Uh, to 42. Really disappointing night for the Cats um, early in, in the first half. A quick synopsis of it is a bad kicking, is bad football, and it really costs an opportunity opportunity for Geelong to be competitive in that third quarter when Brisbane's uh, sorry and Port Adelaide's um, midfield and their defensive pressure really shut down Geelong and they, they propelled themselves to a, a finals victory. Yeah, Port Adelaide kicked a lot straighter 9-4 to, to 5-12 and Hawkins the the main man the Coleman medal winner the leader in goal assists 0-5 and one that didn't score in early in the first quarter as well. 
Yeah, it all, all stems to that first quarter. He had two sh- two scoring shots in the first quarter, one from the boundary, which you could probably say, you know, that's a 50-50 shot. For him, you'd probably give him a 60-40. But the second shot he took in front of goal, um, just, just dropped the pill completely wrong, went off to the left-hand side. And then later in the game, he um, now he's got a tendency to do this, but this is twice now, I think, Pez, that we're talking on the pod about his around-the-body rushing that kick. You could see it was a nervous kick. He went around the body from about 35 out, and, uh, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a great kick, and it was very frustrating as a Geelong supporter because what we needed then was a steadier. Yeah, you definitely needed a goal then, and uh, the other one where he was nearly straight in front, slight angle, uh, should have kicked a couple of them. He's been in great kicking form, and it's not good to do that in a big qualifying final. And Port Adelaide finish on top, first team since the year 2000 to finish on top all year for the whole season after every round they're on top of the ladder and they get to go in ken hinkley very very chuffed with uh their win and i would say that they probably had the chocolates on you in the in the tackling in the pressure area and that's how they got a lot of their scores uh but but geelong had as many inside 50s as they did so uh they had the same amount of opportunities they had a lot of scoring shots as well uh more scoring shots than port adelaide actually so uh it was poor kicking, but it was also poor execution going inside 50 where Geelong were going to the boundary line a lot. Yeah, most definitely. And I think a lot of uh, our opportunities and our forward entries, if you look at that first quarter, we piled that ball in over and over and over again. And um, it's actually it's absolutely upsetting that we trailed in the first quarter because we had most of those inside 50s. And every time we seemed to miss an opportunity... Port Adelaide went down and scored a goal, or every time we scored a goal, they went down and scored one. Um, but I think the the you know the defensive wall that the Cats just really really struggled to to get the ball out of their back fifty. They defended well and they actually did well, I think, to um, stop uh, Port Adelaide from absolutely belting them in that third quarter, where they just continually piled it in, piled it in, piled it in, and they did well to hold strong. But of course, when you've got that many repeated forward entries and all you're doing is, is blazing away, as, as you probably know, you know, as a Saints supporter sometimes when it's under pressure and you did in that, uh, that fourth quarter, just kicking the ball out, looking for territory, the ball's going to come back in and um, you can't win a football game, especially a final, playing football like that. No, it, it wasn't, uh, wasn't great for them, but uh, 10 marks inside 50 to only four for Port Adelaide. So Geelong had them in that category. It was 73 marks to 47 overall. So uh, Geelong were trying to play that, you know, we'll keep the footy, we'll uh, kick it around the back, we'll mark it, get the uncontested marks up, get possession of the footy, play it slow. It's worked a lot this season against other teams. Didn't work against Port Adelaide because when that turnover did come, they ran the ball back the other way and they they didn't stop and go slow. They went went quite fast. So uh, Port Adelaide deserved to be in that uh, preliminary final ready for the opponent, or ready for Richmond or St Kilda next week. Yeah, they definitely do. And um, what was impressive from Port Adelaide is it wasn't just old faithful, you know, Rockcliffe and Boak. Some of those young stars really, really stood up. Um, you had uh, Stevie Motlop, an ex-Geelong player, had three touches, three goals at one stage in the match and, um, you know, really piling on a, a massive um, impact. Uh, and what was what was good is that Geelong did keep Dixon to, to one goal, but... Uh, as we, we, we got this completely wrong, Piers. We said it was going to be a, bo- a battle of the forwards. It was... Uh, Hawkins had an opportunity to kick probably four or five goals um, and really make it a game about the forwards, but both of the forwards were pretty disappointing. Yeah, they, uh, they got uh, matched up very well. And in a final, it, it usually can happen like that where other players have to stand up. So Stevie Motlop uh, standing up and kicking those three goals was very, very valuable with a 16-point win 
going from there. So other players do need to stand up in in those sort of times. You need your midfield stars to absolutely dominate clearances and get some some quick inside 50s, but you need to also kick straight because if you don't kick straight in a final, you can see exactly what happened and that's what happened there. Yeah, it's I'm dumbfounded, Pez, because it's one of those things where I went into the game really confident and even in the third quarter before they started breaking away, I was still really confident with the Cats, but... I think this is a real issue. Chris Scott downplayed. Um, he doesn't agree that the, the Cats have a problem in the first week of finals. But since uh, our flag in 2011, um, we have actually only uh, won one out of eight first week of finals. And I don't think that's um, that's really acceptable. Yeah, and uh, Chris Scott's having none of it, uh, by the way, as well. So uh, he just deflects everything and uh, talks like he's the nicest guy ever. I was interested when he was going at Razor Ray, for, which was ridiculous, by the way, bouncing the ball not in the centre of the ground. What's going on there? So well, like, We don't need the game about Razor enough as it is, but that legit is – it put Geelong at a, a massive disadvantage twice where the Port Adelaide player was able to have a, an absolute run at it. Uh, for people who don't know, and don't know why you listened to our pod if you didn't watch the actual game, but he was bouncing the ball to the left of the actual circle because he said he couldn't uh, – he wasn't able, unable to bounce it on the metal plate in the middle of the ground. Yeah, unable to get enough height on it and things like so that. So throw the so thing up. Throw it up. Exactly right. Do whatever you need to do to keep the game fair and equitable. Uh, but the amazing thing to me was Chris Scott yelled at him, you shouldn't be you shouldn't be umpiring, you shouldn't be bouncing the ball in the centre, Ray. And then had a bit of a spat. And then afterwards, the people are asking him questions in the press conference and he said, nah, it was just a bit of a friendly chat. Like he doesn't want to get in any more strife. He wants to focus on the next week. So Chris Scott, if you're going to stand up and say stuff and you, and you mean it, you're, you're in your rights to to say something to him you're the coach of the footy club and he's doing the wrong thing you've got a you've got a right to question it stand by it and afterwards say yeah i just questioned it because look where he was bouncing the ball and i think it's a, something that you know even in the press conference where you know i know people are so worried about getting fined or not but i don't think it's a big deal to, to address the problem yeah i had i did have a word to um to the umpire because in my um, eyes, and as everyone can see, plain as day, Port Adelaide were getting advantage from where he was bouncing the ball. And if you notice in the second half after he said anything, he stopped it. So, like, he, st- he didn't do it anymore. So, it obviously, it played a, a, a crucial part. And, you know, we struggle in the ruck as it is, Geelong. Um, so, giving another team another advantage is not the way for us to win. And, and you know, that wasn't the reason that we lost. But you've got to give yourself every opportunity. And as a coach, that's his job to do that. His job is to give our team every opportunity to win. And if it means speaking up in a press conference about the umpiring, then do it. If it means, you know, you know what, hey, I did have some harsh words because he, he was doing the wrong thing. You know, and maybe he gets dropped this week. Well, then that's the right play for us. Yeah, well, you've, you've got to do it and you've got to call these people out. We've always said they, they need to have a show where uh, it goes for about half an hour and they go through all the controversial decisions and all the things that the umpires did. Not to shame the umpires but to actually educate the fans and educate the teams about what was right and what was wrong. Because the umpires, they might continue to do the wrong thing if they think it's correct and the AFL keep backing them and say it's, say it's right. So they, they do need to fix that part of the game. Yeah, most definitely. And let, let's, let's be clear here. I thought that the finals for the first week of finals, I thought it was superb. I think they did a fantastic job. I think that holding the ball went out the window, okay, which, which you know what, I'm happy with. I would prefer that than, the, than you know, the, <laughs> the alternative. I thought the umpires did a fantastic job, but that's a simple part of the game and it's one that we shouldn't be discussing in a final series. No, we shouldn't. So uh, let's talk about the footy. Port Adelaide, yes, they've had the win, 16 points, Geelong. Head over to a semi-final. It's going to be massive against Collingwood. Imagine if this 
was at your home ground, the MCG, in the in the second week in the semi-final source. Yeah, really glad it's not uh, there. We will be discussing this in a bit more detail, but super, super glad that it's not going to be in, um, in Melbourne in the MCG. But realistically, we're playing one of the biggest football clubs in the country. It's going to be a home game for, for um, Collingwood no matter where we play them. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> Yes, I am happy that we're not going to have 90,000 there, but of the 25,000 we're probably allowed to have, we're still probably going to have about 15,000, close to 20,000 of, of Collingwood supporters. Yeah, they seem to be everywhere, these these Collingwood fans, and they come out in, in drones, especially in finals. So um, we'll move on to the next game, which was on the Friday night. Friday night footy, you had Brisbane Lions taking on the Richmond Tigers. Richmond were favourites. Brisbane were able to kick away in that second quarter and then control the game after that. They won 69 to 54 by 15 points in the end. Yeah, this was an absolute cracker of a game. Early on in the game, I spoke to you on the phone, Pez, and Brisbane looked like they controlled that first half. They were they were throwing everything at Richmond, and I think they went in at quarter time down uh, after really controlling the game. They looked in better form. They would had more run of the ball, and this every time they turned the ball over, Richmond made them pay. Yeah, Richmond were able to take uh, their opportunities when they could. Four goals to three goals at that quarter-time break. But that second quarter is where it all happened. Brisbane came out, kicked four goals, one to only one goal to Richmond uh, to take that 13-point lead at halftime and then just uh, slowly increase that in the second half to win by 15. Uh, I thought Charlie Cameron was electric with his uh, three goals that he kicked and his celebrations are electric as well. At least he doesn't lose all his energy there. Um, But Harris Andrews down back. He was uh, one of the, the main culprits for Brisbane stopping that run. Tom Lynch was a big loss forward, obviously, for Richmond, but uh, Rewalt couldn't get anything going with uh, Harris Andrews getting in there for the fist and the uh, intercept marks all night long. Yeah, most definitely. And let, let's be clear here, we're not downplaying, um, I'm not going to downplay Brisbane at all. They were fantastic in this, but we saw some things from Richmond, but over the last probably five years, we haven't seen. We saw a back-to-back 50-metre penalty that gave Brisbane an open shot at goal during a crucial time. We saw some really, really poor decision-making, and you could see them really frustrated. And not Richmond is one of those sides that you don't see get frustrated. You don't see give away those 50-metre penalties. And I know every supporter around the world watching the game was waiting for Dustin Martin to come. There was just some really, really concerning aspects of this game that just seemed very un-Richmond-like. Yeah, well, if they want to continue to do that uh, into the next week, uh, be my guest and do that (laughs) un-Richmond-like stuff because uh, St Kilda will need it. But uh, I thought Jaden Short was really good uh, in that role off the half-back line and kicking the ball around there. But it was just... It was just Brisbane in the end who were able to get on top in, in a lot of different categories and, and control the game after half time when uh, they took the sting out of it in that second quarter. Yeah, most definitely. And as you said, Cameron, uh, Cameron was absolutely amazing. And it wasn't just the celebrations and the goals. They came at really, really crucial moments when they needed to start someone to stand up. And normally, as I said, normally Dustin Martin would be some, someone to stand up during that. But uh, Cameron, who's, who's sort of um, taken some dubious form into the, this final series, uh, comes, comes home with the chocolates. Yeah, he, he's been uh, injured, he's been on the floor, he's been getting up and... Uh, limping. Limping and uh, not being injured and oh, he's been doing all sorts of things. But when it's going for him, he is a, a ripper and one of the best small forwards in the competition very easily. It's interesting that it's uh, Brisbane, a 15-point win, and they had more tackles than the Richmond Tigers. So more intensity around the footy. And these players, Oscar McInerney had seven tackles, Calamachi six, 
McCluggage had five and Zorko also had five. So if your players are getting more than five tackles, you're really happy with that. And the surprising one there is McInerney, 21 hitouts. Your Ruckman, seven tackles as well. So that was a great effort by him. Yeah, really, really um, important thing. But what was what was a really interesting stat was the the tackles inside the forward fifty. Um, the, the Lions only had five compared to Richmond's uh, thirteen, which means Richmond were throwing everything at them in their forward fifty. But they just had so much of the ball, and they they you know they really stood up. And, and as I said, normally when you're talking about thirteen tackles inside the opposition's fifty, you're talking about a win and you're talking about impact. But the Brisbane Lions were just too strong, and it's um, we've talked about it for a couple of weeks now. If they can get their scoring um, into attack, they are a very scary and dangerous team going forward, especially because next week's in Brisbane and the grand final's in Brisbane. Yeah, no matter what, if they win or lose, it's in Brisbane. They have to win to get there. But the efficiency was, was no good from Richmond. They only... 29% from their inside 50s actually ended in a scoring shot, whereas Brisbane had 47%. They had 21 shots from 45 entries, and Richmond only had 14 shots, 49 entries. As I said, uh, really un-Richmond-like. They really missed someone to stand up. Well, we were expecting, and I think we we're being not harsh on um, Dustin Martin, but he's that person that we were looking for to stand up. Jack Rewalt was nowhere to be cited for, for most of the game. Um, you know, he kicked a goal early, but other than that, uh, we, we didn't know where he was. Really disappointing. Uh, and they really missed having those twin towers of Lynch and Rewalt there to sort of anchor a lot of their offence. And uh, they really missed a, a tall marking forward. Yeah, what was interesting after the game, because Hardwick ruled Lynch out on the Monday for the Friday night game, and Lynch actually said that he was ready to go on on the Friday, on the week, during the week. So why wouldn't you play him? Like, I don't know why they didn't play him. And if he was ready to go, I'd definitely play him in that type of final where you're playing 100%. against Brisbane, who finish higher than you at home. Yeah, you need him there. So if they put him in this week, he, he might have had too much off footy or something. I'm, I'm hoping anyway, but uh, we'll see. I really hope that he wasn't ready and they're just saying that. Um, or maybe he's not going to be quite ready for this week's final and they're just saying that to try and, you know, stop the story from going. But to me, if your player is ready and he's fit and you're going to say that, it's one of two things. He actually was ready and you're being conservative and you're being a little bit arrogant and not really valuing your opposition. Or two, he's not ready. And if he's not ready, then don't say it. Like, it's just I don't understand that move in terms of the actual coaching decision for him not to play or the statements made at the presser. Yeah, it's uh, a little bit ridiculous, but Hardwick's been there. They've won two premierships out of three. They've got to do it the hard way now, and uh, they've, they've got to have a win this week against St Kilda to, to even get to the prelims. So uh, let's see if they can uh, come out and get three in four years. That would be some sort of feat. That would absolutely be some sort of feat, Pez. And as you sort of speak about your Saints, I'm going to uh, sit back and let you uh, let you have your little uh, St Kilda blast, mate, because I feel like it's going to be an hour of just you talking Saints. You did say that the, sta- the Saints uh, were victorious. They are progressing through to the next round of the finals. They scored 67 to 64, the Doggies. And it was looking like uh, pretty smooth sailing in going into that fourth quarter. And then the Bulldogs hit a switch and surely you had uh, some agonising memories of uh, Fremantle there, Perry? Yeah, well, uh, the discussion before the game uh, was all about St Kilda giving up leads with uh, giving up six goals against North, giving up six goals against Fremantle, not performing against Melbourne, not performing against West Coast. And uh, when we were 26 points up, it felt pretty comfortable in that third quarter when you're, when you're 26 points up, especially in a final. But when the, when the Bulldogs hit back, they kept coming, they kept coming, and they got within three points. Uh, this team is going to send me to an early grave, no doubt, because I don't understand how they could let that go up. In the fourth quarter, they just froze. They didn't play how they did in the first three quarters. 
and they just bomb the ball outside of 50. You spoke about the territory game before, and that's all they tried to do is get territory, keep men back, and try and intercept the ball. But Bulldogs, repeat entry, repeat entry, repeat entry, finally a goal or a free kick, which there were a few of, um, and a few ones that definitely weren't free kicks, and there were a few goals off of them. But I think St Kilda did deserve the win in the end. They were the better team on the day. And if some of those free kicks weren't there, it wouldn't have been as close. But Yeah, it's really concerning, I think, for St Kilda. Um, because that fourth quarter, you went into that fourth quarter comfortably up and you're up by 26, as you said. At one stage, I think it got out to 33 points was the actual lead in the fourth quarter. And I thought, you know, most teams would go on to win by 40 or 50 plus. We spoke about that in our, our cheeky show that, you know, when a team's season is ended and, it's you know, they're up by that much. But you, com- you completely shifted your game plan. You went from a very fast attacking, up the middle of the ground, high risk, high reward game of football to this weird brand of football where you just kicked, continually kicked to the wings and kicked to packs. And at times it looked really, really pointless, your movement. One thing that you will credit, I do credit yourself early on in the game, your poise in that defensive back line yeah. was amazing. You didn't concede any goals through rush behinds. You took your time getting out of it. And then the fourth quarter, it was like all of your players went, holy shit, we're going to win this. Mm. I don't want to lose this. Please don't lose it. Please don't lose it. And that's the worst mentality going into a fourth quarter. It is. And when it gets to nine points, you've actually got to turn the switch and you've got to go, all right, we've got to attack again. Mm-hmm. And they didn't do that. They got to within three points. And then you've really got to turn the switch because you can't just keep defending anymore. Uh, I think you talk about kicking to the boundary. They were also kicking it towards more this, the centre square as well, which opens the ground yeah. up for, for the for the turnover, which wasn't clever at all. So if you are going to play that territory game, you've got to get the ball close to the boundary with your tallest players out there. If it was Rowan Marshall or Paddy Ryder or someone to thump it over the line and, and get another stoppage where St Kilda absolutely dominated in the ruck. Paddy Ryder, if this was a Brownlow medal game, he would have got three votes and it's very, very sad to see his reaction at the end of the game and to hear that he will be out for the entire final series. Yeah, it was really heartbreaking watching him on the bench during those dying seconds. Um, after playing for so many games, I think it's 247 games without an actual finals victory, he gets his first victory. They look in a prime spot to pl- take on Richmond next week. And as you said, best on best on ground performance, and he misses next week. But a really disappointing to see him there on the beach. And we w- bench, and we wish him all the best for for that hamstring um, recovery. Question for you: We're speaking about inju- injuries. What are your thoughts on Zane Cordy? I, I was really, really disappointed. And if I was uh, a Western Bulldog supporter, I'd be furious at seeing him who, who went off early with a, with a shoulder injury, uh, and then he uh, it was up in the stands with his mates. I noticed that went to the other the other squad members in the Bulldogs yeah. to, to sit in the crowd. It's uh, you usually see the injured player with the warm up jacket back on and sitting on the bench, on the and bench still supporting your troops, trying to contribute to to your win because you can contribute um, as a player and as a as a leader, especially him as a, a defender. You could have spoken to some of the the players coming off and giving them some some feedback and some advice. So uh, yeah, I thought that was super disappointing. Um, Paddy Ryder did the. Did not the same thing, but he, he stayed on the bench afterwards when mm-hmm. the siren went. His teammates were celebrating. Jake Carlisle actually left to come over to him to to try and pump him up and try and celebrate because he already knew that his season was over there on the spot. And it was a minute and a half or less than a minute and a half left in the game as well, which, uh, yeah, it's just heartbreaking. Speaking of heartbreaking, Pez, how much did your heart sink when uh, Bruce kicked that first goal? Did you think that it was gonna be he was going to turn it on against your Saints? No, it was quite funny actually because... Uh, <laughs> Before that, he'd kick 13 goals for the season. 
in 17 games and six of those came in one game. So uh, he hadn't had the best season. You know I'm not the biggest Josh Bruce fan. Grab the jumper, mate. He grabbed the very proud to be a doggy. Very proud to be a doggy he was. And uh, I've seen some highlights of him doing interviews at the start of the season and before the first St Kilda game. Like, oh, I'm just looking. I don't care about leaving St Kilda. I'm just looking forward to beating them this year. Well, he lost to him twice. Uh, didn't contribute twice. I don't know if he got a touch after that. He would have got would have got a couple of touches. But grabbing the jumper and doing that, a lot of Saints supporters were really happy with that win at the end. But I was really happy that they actually chose him in the team because it actually helped St Kilda a lot. Um, he's meant to be the third strung forward, uh, but he's like their he was their number one target nearly. When Aaron Norton's there, who's the best contested mark? I don't think Aaron Norton's confidence levels with that helmet was up to stand in the first three quarters. But when they were down by 24 points, 26 points, he decided to go, you know what? I'm going to go for the marks here. And he, he nearly won the game for him. Yeah, and we spoke about that. You know, we've spoken about this in the past with the Doggies, that their concern for us is that they don't really have uh, – we don't know where their goals are going to come from outside of Mitch Wallace. You know, they have um, a, a range of other forwards that just haven't performed, but that was not the case for the Saints, having four multiple goal kickers, Ryder, Membrane, uh, King and Geary. Um, Geary was amazing, really, really strong captain performance from him. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was really good to see that you had multiple multiple goal kickers, and good to see these young guys standing up in their first finals appearance. Talk about young guys. My absolute favourite player, Maxi King. Now, I'm spewing he didn't kick four because on the, on the cheeky, <laughs> I got him from most goals at 201 in the, in the final series. Have you, got have, cash, have you got a cash out with that? Did it come down a bit oh, in value? I haven't, even had a look, I haven't even had a look at it, to be honest, but it should have come down in value because he actually, it, I think it was Loney got a goal off him. So a free kick to Max King in front of the goals. Loney actually got the advantage paid. So could have at least been three goals in that snap that he missed as well. But talk about his grabs. He was taking grabs up on the wing and he was actually holding onto grabs one on three inside the forward 50. Really exciting player. It's his first year of AFL footy, and this guy's just going to get better and better and absolutely dominate this competition. Yeah, it really is. It is really scary because uh, you and I were speaking on the, the Thursday or the Friday about the nerves of a young dominant forward like that, and the bookies didn't have faith in him. And, you know, it was there were a lot of people out there really um, asking questions whether he could perform, and he looks dangerous. And I think he's really going to give the Richmond defence uh, some trouble. Yeah, well, hopefully, and hopefully you can uh, hold on to some of those grabs because we do target him a lot, and no, there's no reason not to target him because if he doesn't mark it, he usually brings it to ground and he usually takes at least two defenders up with him in the contest as well. And he's got that massive reach on him, and if he can clunk him and, and kick straight, I think that's what it's going to come down to because the Bulldogs missed a couple of easy shots in front of goal. St Kilda missed a few easy shots in front of goal as well, but uh, to win by three points, to actually win a close game this year for St Kilda has been huge because against Brisbane at the Gabba earlier in the year... They came at them. They were coming at Brisbane the whole time and end up losing by two points. And they haven't really won that, that super close game. So this might be that one where they go, you know what? We can believe in ourselves at the end of a game. We can learn from this. And if we're in this position again... We, we just have to keep playing as, as we play and stick to our game plan. Yeah, and you've got to have confidence in the side of the draw that you're on as well, Pez, because you've beaten, um, you've beaten Port Adelaide and you're on their side and you've also beaten... Um Richmond. Richmond. So, like, you've beaten both those teams. You've got to have confidence. You know you can do it. Um, so there's no reason why you can't, uh, you know, make a little bit of noise and do exactly what Collingwood did. Oh, it's going to be a really tough game this week against uh, Richmond Tigers. I think they have to be heavy, heavy favourites. And uh, Tom Lynch coming back into that side. Paddy Ryder out. Jake Carlisle's going to be out. He's actually going home for the birth of his third child. So he's going to be out and going to need to be replaced. Josh Battle will hopefully come back in. But uh, to lose Ryder in the ruck and not have that two-prong ruckman, Ryder and Marshall. Marshall's got a really big job, and uh, I'm not sure he's ready to take the solo 
uh, ruck contest yet because Paddy Ryder's tap work has been next level this year. Oh, on a platter, on a silver platter, mate. Uh, it's, it's been really, really elite to see him, uh, to, to, you know, continue to dominate and... It's good for him as well, you know, coming off that Essendon saga and saying, you know what, no, I want to come back to Melbourne. Choosing the Saints, choosing a young contender and seeing that success straight away. So, yeah, yeah. disappointing. Uh, and the, one of the youngest defences as well for St Kilda and they really did stand up. Caulfield had a struggle in the first three quarters but took four intercept marks in that fourth quarter. Dougal Howard, uh, 20 disposals in the end and six marks. He... He was elite in his one-on-one contests and what he's able to do coming over from Port Adelaide. So missing Carlisle in that in that tier because him and Carlisle worked really well together uh, on Saturday. So we'll, we'll see who we replace him with and see see what can happen. On uh, you got to be there to try and win it. So they're there and they've won a final, first final since 2010 that they've won. So we'll yeah. take it. And that's got to be the victory. You know, the, obviously the start of the season was to make the the top eight, and then once you get the top eight, you just start ticking milestones. All right, cool. We've got to win the first final. All right, we've got to win. You know, this year we're winning two. Third year, we're expected to win the flag. And, and uh, one of the teams that were expected to be a heavy, heavy uh, flag favourite going into earlier the season is out in the first round getting knocked off by the eighth side. West Coast Eagles go down to um, Collingwood. And early on, it looked like they were just going to have a repeat of last year. Uh, Big Cox having the best three minutes, most productive three minutes of his career. Jeez, he's arrogant as well, isn't he? Like, <laughs> come on, come on, Cox. You've got to... You've got to be consistent, like amazing to kick two goals in a minute and then kick his third as well. And he was just strutting around like he owned the place and they ended up winning the game. So he, he's got some stuff to, stories to tell and he's going to be taking on the, that Geelong defence this week and he, he probably needs to stand up and do a little bit. Yeah, Collingwood um, ripped the game open early. They won the inside 50s count in the first five minutes, 14 to 8, which which is incredible. They just continually pumped it down there. Big Cox taking some great marks. Um, and, you know, it was – it was. I think they were lucky that they actually took Tom Barras off him because <laughs> he was looking like he was going to absolutely dominate him. But um, after, after booting that second goal, as you spoke, mate – the old two-finger wave, the tongue's out. Um, but then it was a game of arrogance because uh, Liam Ryan, early, later in the game, uh, did the old, uh, here's, the, here's the candy to my jack. Yeah, I, I like Liam Ryan, though. So so I. I, 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 <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. I could let him do that. He, he kicked a goal and uh, he is a super important player and one of my favourite players to watch. Uh, comes down to goal kicking in finals and Darling and Kennedy, they kick six between them, but they also kick six behinds between them and... Uh, that accuracy in front of goal really cost them in a one-point victory. Meyer check, I cannot believe that left foot snap. Oh, I don't even know what you would call stab. it. Stab. <laughs> uh, it tumbled through, uh, and then to go, he kicked an absolutely amazing goal out of the ruck contest in the forward 50, that snap. Uh, so a couple of really good goals at the end and clutch performance by Collingwood. They got the they got the wood over it, and it's all back and forth with West Coast supporters saying, well, well, we won in 2018, and Collingwood oh. supporters saying, oh, well, we're... We're going to the next thing and we're still live in 2020. Don't worry about the past. Yeah, the Collingwood supporters, uh, you know, and you, you, you're excited for them and that, but they, geez, they take they, they take everything so personal. And just, just relax a little bit. I'm sort of with um, Corns here. Corns came out and said that they're just making up the numbers, just like everyone did. Everyone just didn't have thought that they had no business winning this game. They were super impressive, but, um, it, you know, it wasn't like that they, they did anything amazing. Yeah, they, they did what they do. They just went in there, hard hard attacking the ball. They're lucky that West Coast had were inaccurate in front of goal a little bit, um, yep. but you know they definitely they they made them pay every time they went forward. Yep, twenty scoring shots to sixteen, and you look at the last quarter. West Coast had four goals, three, 
and Collingwood had three goals straight. So West Coast were coming. West Coast got the lead. Collingwood got it back and got a couple of goals. And uh, it, it was just that first quarter with uh, Big Cox, four goals straight to one goal too as well in that in that first quarter. But West Coast came out in that second quarter, got the game back to near level terms, and uh, it was a seesaw ride till the end. And the siren went when Collingwood were on top, and they'll they'll take that win. Yeah, really big game, uh, big game from the Collingwood midfield, that midfield that was t- uh, deemed at the start of the year, maybe the best ever midfield collection ever. Uh, Trelaw had 25, Adams had 25, Pendlebury Old Faithful had 18, um, and then they had you know some of their emerging wing players in uh, Dacos and Crisp really, really uh, contributing heaps and making sure that they had plenty of the football. And if you've got plenty of the football pairs and you give your forwards opportunities... You kick miraculous goals out of your ass like um, <laughs> uh, Mike did, and uh, well, and the big cocks. Yeah, well, they do that. They they kicked super straight with a lot of players not even registering behinds, where West Coast didn't. So uh, that was the difference in the end. Uh, Collingwood have got to got to go in with some confidence now against Geelong, who haven't performed in finals lately. So it's it's going to be a big clash, and uh, Collingwood are going to go in. Uh, and probably think they're going to win it. And and Bucks will go in there confident and they'll go in there cocky, but Geelong really need to step up and stand up and say, hey, we're here, we finished we finished in the top four for a reason. We've we've got to actually try and kick straight. Yeah, Geelong can't go out in straight sets. They need to, they need to at best, progress to the next round. If they're going to lose um, next week, well, then so be it. But I think Geelong would have to, have to really fancy themselves in this game. They need to go back to basics. And one thing that is a little bit concerning for Collingwood is one area that they, they could absolutely dominate um, – uh, Geelong in the ruck is is in the ruck as I just mentioned, and uh, Brody Brody Gundry was he was not ha- he was not having a great game, and there was a couple of times at the start of each quarter that he actually started on the bench, which is an interesting move. And late in the quarter as well, there was yeah. one centre clearance when he wasn't in there in the ruck, and they had the young young bloke uh, Darcy Cameron in there as, against Nat Nui. So Nat Nui, great tap ruckman as well, and and a really good game. Tim Kelly. Your man went went missing in that final as well and uh, didn't get a lot of the pill and didn't have a big influence. And at that last bit when they were going down and he kicked it into the middle, he, he missed his target and uh, and they turned the ball over when they could have had a chance to, to tie the game and take it into overtime or actually win it. Yeah, yeah. So uh, interesting. It's going to be a big week in football, but uh, West Coast are done out of the finals, Piz. Yeah, they'd have to be super disappointed with their season. COVID or not, they... They started the year very poorly, uh, only got fifth and didn't get a second opportunity. So if they got in that top four, they'd still be alive no matter what would have happened last week. But they couldn't uh, get their heads around being in the hub up at Gold Coast, weren't happy with it, came back, dominated at um, SBS Stadium, went back to the hub, struggled a little bit, won a couple of games, and then uh, they got their wish. They got to play at Optus Stadium, but they played against the Collingwood Magpies and... Collingwood come out on top and it's pretty embarrassing for West Coast. They're lucky they won a premiership a couple of years ago or or this list would have been wasted. I'm, I'm expecting them to, to still be a, a better team next year. Elliot Yo gets to come back into the picture after ending his season and if they can keep a lot of those core players together, they'll still be a force. Yeah, and I think that, um, you know, obviously the hub was a was an inconvenience for them and they really did. They were the team that was most definitely the one, at least sooking about it the most. I don't know if it was they were affected the most, but in a final, they had a home final where other teams didn't get the opportunity of having a home crowd. They've got a very um, imposing home crowd. 
it was their chance, but it was their midfielders that really let them down. Like, you know, Gaff was amazing, but, you know, Kelly, Kelly was, was nowhere to be seen. I think he had 11 touches. Um, Duggan was amazing. He had 20. But you need to have more impact from Sheed and, you know, uh, Shannon Hearn. And, and, you know, Ryan was amazing, but he's only going to get the ball a certain amount of times, especially when he's playing up the, up the field. Their midfielder was really, really disappointing. And you needed to see so much more from Dom Sheed, Tim Kelly and Luke Shuey. Yeah, if I was um, a West Coast supporter, I'd be really disappointed with some of the umpires' decisions as well. Late in that game, you can't blame the umpires because it was your uh, kicking in front of goals that lost you the game in the end. You've still got to overcome the umpires when they are poor, but I, I feel like they were uh, either scared of the Collingwood supporters on the sideline or scared of Eddie Maguire or something because some of the free kicks that they uh, gave away, it's usually at Optus Stadium, they would be on West Coast side, but uh, it, it seemed like they're going for Collingwood. You you, you um, openly speak about free kicks, you know, not, not costing them the game, but tell me another time where in a home final, Perth playing an opposition, a Victorian side especially, and the Victorian team wins the free kick count by five. No way no. that happens. No, no way. And as you spoke, there were four or five in the last two minutes alone that were really controversial. So, you know, leading up into that, not controversial in terms of the um, actual call itself, but the, the stuff that they hadn't called all, all game and then they were calling it in the last three minutes and especially when they go from, you know, 12 free kicks all and then one team goes 17 to 12. Yeah, it's, uh, it's surprising. It, it does happen in games, uh, happen in the elimination final here and uh, teams just have to be better. Like if St Kilda had lost that game to the Bulldogs, yes, uh, Western Bulldogs kicked three goals off uh, th- three goals off free kicks that shouldn't have been there, uh, and yeah, it, it would have happened, and you would have had to take the loss, and you've got to get over that as a team, and you've got to be able to win against that if it doesn't go your way on the night. Yeah, most definitely. And those teams, as we said, the teams that are going home from finals, they'll be really disappointed because I think West Coast and the Western Bulldogs both saw themselves as real contenders, whether they were or not. They definitely would have seen themselves as, a, as a, an open shot to win a premiership. And for them, their window closes. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you, you said that. And uh, not being the biggest Doggies fan yourself, Sauce, so I just want to take you through the end of their season because they were a really red-hot, informed team, yes? No. Well, they were in the media. <laughs> no, they weren't. So this is this is their run leading up. They they beat Fremantle, finished pretty low. Mm-hmm. Yep. They beat Hawthorne, bottom four side. They beat West Coast just by the two points up in Queensland. So impressive, but probably should have lost that game with that score review. Uh, Geelong beat them. No surprise. They beat Melbourne, who had a shocking season. They beat Adelaide. They lost to Brisbane. They lost to Port Adelaide. They lost to Richmond. Yeah, so they didn't beat anyone of note at all. Yeah, they, they sorry, they beat West Coast to finish seventh for the year. Yeah, so they beat, that's they, the only they, team they, they beat, beat te- in the top eight. <laughs> yeah, they beat the team that finished above them. Yeah, the eighth team beat the seventh team. So not that impressive, but th- it all stems back to that one premiership that they won. They had the best month of football in in, in probably best best month in probably any sport ever from a team finishing where they finished. Um, and it's just, you know, they'll, they'll find themselves disappointed. But one of the problems I have with the Bulldogs is that they are so accepting of just making it to, to the finals and thinking that that's enough and that's just going to, you know, um, you know, produce a, a finals campaign that's, that's, uh, that has premiership success. That's not a sustainable model. If you guys want to be a realistic, you know, contender and a builder, a dynasty, you can't be content with just making it there. You need to take care of business early on in the season be consistent across the year and get repeated um, entrants in the finals. And if you've got, you know, you've got that much talent that you're all tired about, finish top four then. Yeah, and 
I don't care what anyone says. Uh, yes, Bulldogs won it from seventh and they won it from outside the eight. It's an anomaly. Uh, it, it wouldn't happen too many more years, I would have thought. Yes, it's possible to win from outside the eight and put four good weeks together, but it's not likely. So you have to finish top four if you want to give yourself a realistic chance at a premiership. Yeah, most definitely. Um, speaking of the teams uh, finishing top four, we have got two more games until we know our grand finalist pairs. Have you got any predictions going forward? Just just, just standalone predictions. Do your Saints get it done? Do my Cats recover? Oh, well, we might meet each other in the grand final. Oh, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> how, how good would that podcast be then, Piz? Let's go with that. We, don't, we wouldn't be doing a podcast post-grand final, I guarantee you that. <laughs> no chance <laughs> at all, especially when Geelong win. And probably uh, you can catch up with me about a month later, mate. I'll be celebrating. No, well, I wouldn't see you for the next year. I reckon we'd uh, <laughs> cancel season 2021 with a COVID-related issue. And so, season four down the drain and, of uh, <laughs> behind the boundary. We, this might be the end of the end of the podcast. Could be, could be, could be. <laughs> If, if you don't want it to be the end, let us know at Behind the Bound on Twitter and Instagram, uh, Behind the Boundary on Facebook as well. Uh, enjoyed talking footy tonight. Now, we're going to do our Cheeky Punch show right at the end of the week, Source, on the, on the Friday before the Friday night game. We've only got two games to go through, so we'll be doing an in-depth uh, preview of both of those games, and I'm looking forward to that. Uh, starting to get nervous on a Monday already when St Kilda are playing on, on the Friday, so my team gets to lose before... Your team this week. We'll yeah, before my team loses next week. Yep. <laughs> so we, we might both lose next week and then we'll still talk footy uh, the week after. I'm Pez. Peace out. I'm still Sauce. We'll catch up next time, guys. Now you're gone.